You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor George Willis, which is from our series, How to Hug a Vampire, Loving People Who Suck the Life Out of You. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Well, hey, I want to welcome you today. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Uh, can we let those watching online know that we in-house love them by making some noise for them? Come on. I know Anthony, you're watching. Um, Hannah, you're watching. And uh, Wiley, you're watching. I don't know if you're here today in person or not, but uh, I encourage you. Uh, get your devices out, uh, you know, log on to our app, uh, watch a live service and chat with those who are watching online because they're in it with us as well. Uh, they're a part of what we're doing. So again, I want to welcome you. Uh, I believe Creekside is a place where you can be seen and see others. And you got to know that whether you're in-house or watching online, you are loved. You are loved. Uh, We're going to get right into it because we got something special going on uh, in case anyone was confused by what's in the middle of the room. Uh, We're kicking off a new series today. We're kicking off a new series today that I will believe, that I believe will speak to you in a very meaningful, impactful, deep way. We're going to talk about how to love people. It's our motto. Love God. Staff got it. Love God. Love people. And we're going to focus on the love people part. Because the reality is loving God, you know, that that may be easier for some than it is loving people. Love God. Love people. And as we love God and we learn how to love people, have you ever noticed, or maybe it's just me or maybe someone online, and if you agree with me or if it's you, you can throw up the hand emojis. Have you ever noticed it's hard to love some people more than other people? I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to love some people more than it is others. And if you feel that way, hey, guess what? You are in the right place today. You are in the right place today. That's what we're talking about. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to love people who, who we feel suck the life out of us. Thus the title, How to Hug a Vampire. How to love people who suck the life out of us. And you know who those people are. Those who always pick you apart. Those who criticize you over and over again. Maybe somebody, you know, you ever heard the term EGRs? The extra grace required people? (laughs) You know, they're soups needy. For those of you under or over 50, that means super needy. They're really needy and, and they just, you know, they always need something from you. And you're like, bro, I don't know how much I have left to give. Or maybe it's uh, those who say one thing with their mouth, 
but then they act a complete different way, a completely different way. Their behavior doesn't line up with what they're saying. And what's our role? I mean, what, what really, for these people, what's our role in helping them and loving them? This morning, I want to dive in and look at what many of us may face. How, how do we love people that seem like, you know, they want to control us? How do we love people who seem overly or incredibly controlling? Let's have fun. Let's play a little game. How many of you know a control freak? Raise your hand. Now, if you tried to raise your hand, but somebody next to you tried to pull it down, <laughs> that's the very person we're talking about today. Those who are controlling. The unfortunate thing is many of us have been hurt by someone trying to control us. And maybe you have been hurt by someone who has been trying to control you. Maybe, maybe it was an authority figure. And they abused their power. But we all have them. But here's the reality. Most often the people trying to control us, they're not intentionally like being malicious. They're not intentionally, you know, being mean to us. Sometimes they're just needy. They're just, or maybe they're hurting, or maybe they're afraid, or maybe they're insecure. Because insecure people, they, what do they do? They try to get us to do what they think we should do and be doing with our lives. And maybe it's because they lack control of something in their lives. So they try to control somebody else. They try to get us to do what they think we should be doing with our lives. And what happens if we don't? If we don't do what they want? What happens? It becomes like an emotional black hole, an emotional vacuum, right? No matter what you do, it's never, ever going to be enough. If we give them attention, like an ounce of attention, what do they want? They want more. They want more. And not just they want more, they demand more. If we don't give them what they want, they'll sometimes, what will they do? They'll, they'll pout, they'll stomp, maybe they'll complain, maybe they'll whine. Am I relating to anything today? Um, they'll, they'll, they'll threaten you. Maybe, how many of you have ever gotten the silent treatment? And the whole time, all this is doing is making you feel like you're, you're walking on eggshells around them. Now, if you're thinking of someone right now, I just want to encourage you, just think and don't point. We don't want to make this message any more awkward or difficult than it really has to be. How do we love those who are trying to control us? How do we love those who suck the life out of us? How do we learn to hug a vampire? I want to begin with this. I heard or read, and I, I, I'm sorry, I can't quote the exact source, but that the controllers use two methods. The controllers' two greatest weapons are they use threats and they use guilt. Threats and guilt. Now, how might a controller play out a threat? 
Now, in some way, you got to understand that it's not just said. It could be implied as well. Not just said, but it could be implied. Threats. You better do it or else. Right? If you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you're going to regret it. That's a threat. Or how about this? You know, if you don't perform up to my expectations, listen, you're going to be punished. Or if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to make you pay. Maybe it looks like this. Your boyfriend, for some of you who are dating, your boyfriend breaks up with you because you didn't give him what he wanted physically. Maybe your boss terrifies you. And you feel like you're always walking on the edge around them. Maybe, maybe your spouse has threatened to leave you. Whatever it is, what do controllers do? Controllers use threats. They also use, and a, and a controller may, again, they may say it or they may imply it. They also use guilt. How does guilt play out? Listen, Dave, after everything I've done for you, you're not going to help me with this one thing? Yeah, yeah see? <laughs> or how about this? Maybe you've heard this one. Hey, yo, Brady, I thought we were close, man. I thought you had my back. I thought I could count on you. It's guilt. thought you were my friend. Or about this one? <laughs> Bill, you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> Some Christian you are. Threats and guilt. Maybe it plays out for you like, how many of you guys ever, I know I have this in my own life. <laughs> I'm not going to say which relative. <laughs> you never call me. You're always too busy. Don't you love me? Here's my favorite. I could be dead and you would never know it. It's threats and it's guilt. How do we as followers of Jesus love those who intentionally or unintentionally try to control and try to manipulate us. How do we do this? How do we love? It's a fair question because I think we're kind of getting a little more selfish as a society. That's just my own personal belief. I wrestle with it in my own life and you probably do too. But here, listen, in Matthew chapter 16, there's a story about Jesus and a guy named Peter. And Peter tries to control, in this situation that we're talking about, G, uh, Peter tries to control Jesus. Jesus, what was he doing? He was explaining to his disciples the will of God, the, that what God placed on the life of Jesus, what he was supposed to do. That he was going to suffer, that Jesus was going to give his life, that he was going to uh, uh, be raised back to life. And what did Peter do? If you're familiar with this passage, and we're going to dig into it a little, a little bit, what Peter did is he, he kind of took control and said, oh, no, you're not. That's not going to happen on my watch. You're not doing that. I'm not going to let you. 
Peter wanted to take control to make sure what he didn't want to happen didn't happen. Can anybody relate to that today? It says in verse 22 of Matthew 16, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Correct him. Tell him what's up. You ever notice when, when controllers try to control and manipulate, sometimes they try to isolate you to get you by yourself one-on-one? They take you aside away from the others to, to do what? To impose their will on you. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So how do we as followers of Jesus love those who intentionally or unintentionally try to control us or manipulate us? And from this passage, um, I want to show you three things that you have to know. You have to know that we need to know. Three things to know about loving people who are trying to control us. The first thing you need to know is you need to be confident in what God has called you to do. There is a confidence in the calling. What God has called you to do. To be confident in knowing this, you need to know your call. I mean, even Jesus was super duper clear about his call, what what God assigned him to do. Jesus knew what his calling was. I mean, if, if if, if you're unfamiliar with what his calling was, he says it over and over and over again in many different ways throughout the New Testament. He knew exactly what God sent him to do on this earth. Jesus' call was to come and seek out and save the lost, to seek and save sinners, not just the healthy but those who are sick, not just to be served, but to serve. He was called to come and seek and save the sinners. He, he was called to give his life for a ransom, and he was called to die on the cross and to be raised to life again. again. So for you to effectively love those who are trying to control you, it's important that you clearly define what you are called to do. What are you called to do? I think oftentimes people make the mistake of equating this call to something massive and big, like some grandiose call of, you know, God told me to, you know, sell everything and and move to Africa to be a missionary. Some people think, well, God, you know, I I must not be called because he didn't call me to cure cancer. Maybe, Maybe our calling, maybe your calling isn't that specific. Maybe your calling 
might simply be to the people closest to you. Your calling might be to your husband or to your wife. Your calling might be be the best parent to your children that you can be. Maybe your calling is to be the best child for your parent. Maybe your calling is to serve here at Creekside, whether it's in the nursery or in uh, Creekside Kids, or maybe it's CYC 180. It's an inside joke. I don't know why we have a Z there, but we do. Um, Maybe your calling is to serve in CYC 180. Maybe your calling is just simply to join the guest services team and welcome people onto campus on a Sunday morning to smile and shake a hand. It doesn't have to be huge. Maybe your calling is simply just sharing your story at work or at school. Clearly, whatever it is, clearly define your calling. For example, I know without a doubt what my calling is, without a doubt. And it may surprise you that it's not some like major thing. My calling is to lay down my life and love my wife, to be the best husband to my wife, Kristen. My calling is to lead my daughter in the ways of the Lord, to be an example, to teach her how to follow Christ. And the third thing of my calling is to pastor this church. Love my wife, lead my daughter, pastor this church. That's my calling, clearly defined. This is very clear and it drives what I am supposed to do. Are you with me so far? You need to clarify your call. What are you called? That's my calling. I hope none of you say my calling is to love your wife, PG, and lead. No, <laughs> that is my calling to love my wife, lead my daughter, and shepherd this church. The problem is, I think many of us, if you're like me, we tend to want to please people. We're people pleasers, and many of you are people pleasers. How many battle with people pleasing? Raise your hand. See, it makes me feel good that you raised your hand when I asked you to. You're people pleasers. Many of us battle wanting to please people because in some weird way, we find our value in that, pleasing people. What we need to understand is that people pleasing is a form of idolatry. See, why, why would I say that? Because I think we wrongly put what people think of us. I think we wrongly put people's opinions of us ahead of God's calling for us. What does calling do? Calling gives clarity. Calling gives clarity. See, I, what I know to be true, a lot of people have a plan for what I do with my time. I don't know if that registered. A lot of people have a plan for what I do with my time. The same is true for yours. There are people who want to control and say, listen, you need to be here and you need to do this. 
They seem to have a very clear plan for what you should be doing with your time and your resources. But when you know what you're called to do, what does that do? It, it creates clarity. And there are a lot of people that want me to do exactly what they want me to do. And the reality is I cannot do, nor can you do everything. I cannot please everybody. Listen, I can't be at every meeting. I, I can't meet every single need, even within this church. I cannot do everything for every single person. I can, however, love Kristen, lead and love my daughter, and serve Creekside Church. Know what you're called to do. Know what you're called to do. Why? Why does this matter? Why is this important? Because here's what I know that every controlling person that I know of have in common. It's just one thing that every controlling person has in common. For every, every controlling person, this is what they have in common. They have someone who allows it. They have someone who allows it. So the, the person who does the controlling has a problem, but it appears so do we because we consistently allow it to happen. What is it that God is calling you to do? Clarify it and it will keep you from being distracted by someone else's desires. Know what you are called to do. The second thing is this, is you have to know when someone is actually trying to control you. Because I think sometimes the lines get blurred. Recognize when someone's trying to push you away from what God wants you to do into what they want you to do. This, this, this is what's happening in our story. Jesus says, this, this is what I must do. I know what I must do. It is God's will to, to give my life for a ransom and to be raised to life again. And Peter stands Jesus down. And what does Peter, Peter try to do? Peter tries to take control. No, never, Lord. No, I'm not going to let this happen. One would have to ask, was, was Peter like the, the worst guy who ever lived? No. Did he hate God? No. Was, was, it, was it Peter's plan to distract Jesus from saving the world? No. I mean, in fact, moments, moments before this conversation took place in this passage that we're in, what Peter did was nailed his response to a question that Jesus asked, not just him, but the other disciples. Jesus asked, who do other people say that I am? And you know what happened is everyone else but Peter kept getting it wrong. Then Jesus turns to Peter and looks him in the eye and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what was Jesus' response? Peter, listen, people didn't reveal this to you, but God himself revealed it to you. 
See, Peter wasn't an, uh, an evil man like maybe some that are trying to manipulate you. But in that moment, Peter was putting his own plan, his own desires ahead of God's. That's why we have to be aware of those times where when you're walking out your life and living your call that God has called you to, we have to be aware when someone tries to step in and oppose their own will to try and distract us and to to try and take us away from what God's called us to do. So why did Peter try to control Jesus? It's a fair question. I think because in that moment, Peter didn't completely understand God's plan. See, we have to recognize when someone's threatening you. Have to recognize when someone's, you know, guilting you or trying to isolate you from friends or from family. Maybe manipulate you. And then what happens? After they manipulate you, you, you kind of go back and you rescue them again, right? Because they're, they're, what they do, what controllers and manipulators do, they try to get you to meet needs in their life that you were never designed to meet. Know your calling. Know when someone's trying to control you or manipulate you. The third thing is this, is you have to know when to draw a line in the sand. And this is actually a loving thing to do. This is what Jesus does for Peter. Peter wanted what he wanted and how he wanted it. And Jesus' response was in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, what did he say? Say it with me. Get behind me, Satan. See, he says, you are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get behind me, Satan. That sounds so bad, doesn't it? I mean, if your wife ever makes you feel guilty, not going to let you, <laughs> tell her, I'm not going to let you talk to her. Get behind me, Satan. No, that, don't, don't do that. Listen, Jesus says this, Jesus says this is God's will and Peter says unintentionally, no, it's not. We can all relate to that. I mean, can you imagine just for a second if Jesus was a codependent? Let me walk with me here for a second. Jesus was a codependent. Imagine, I mean, that his identity was all wrapped up in what Peter was thinking or saying. Peter manipulates. Don't do it. If you, don't, if you do it, I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to be your friend. I won't be your disciple. I will unfollow you on Snap. We laugh, but you don't know when teenagers get unfollowed on Snap, it's like a whole thing. And I can imagine Jesus saying, okay, Pete, I won't do it. I'll do what you want. Don't throw a fit, Pete. I don't want to hurt your feelings. That'll never happen. Jesus would never do that. You know why? Because if you give control to a person, God isn't directing you, they are. Be 
God isn't directing you someone else. That's why it's so important to, to, to realize and be confident in what God's called you to do, to know when someone's trying to control you. Jesus looks on and says, hey, listen, Peter, a minute ago, you were on point. You answered the question correctly. But in this moment, there's an evil spirit trying to take me away from what God has called me to do. I mean, what if in your life, Think about your life for a second. What if in your life there's someone who loves and cares about you, but in their dysfunction, in their dif- dysfunction, they are distracting you from serving a higher calling and a higher purpose because you idolize or have idolized what they think and lessened or even walked away from what God has called you to do. This is why it's so important. Jesus is saying, you don't have in mind the things of God, merely human concerns or the things of men. So where do we go with this? We understand the problem, but now what do we do with it? What do we do when we recognize that we are disco dancing at club dysfunction junction? where someone threatens us and tries to make us feel guilty and we give in and we're not doing what God is calling us to do. Here are a couple of thoughts and hopefully for somebody, this is gonna be freeing and and it's gonna be moving and God's gonna reveal something significant in you and in your life that will move you from settling for something lower than what God has called you to. What do we know? This is true in any relationship. The relationships you have are a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. I think we talked about this or read about it when we went through the series, Winning the War in Your Mind. Think about it. Every relationship, whether it's your marriage or your parents, the relationship you have with your parents, the relationship you have with your siblings, or maybe it's friends, maybe the relationships you have with your coworkers or your boss or your, your own children. You know what we do? We create patterns. We create patterns. We create healthy patterns and we allow unhealthy ones. And every relationship we have, The relationships you have are a combination. They are shaped and formed by what you've created and what you've allowed in that relationship. The next thought, and this, listen, someone needs to hear this and someone needs to apply it. If you don't like what you have, change what you expect and change what you accept. Know when to draw the line in the sand. Jesus loved Peter. He didn't hate Peter. He said, but you got the answer right. Great job, Pete. High five. You got it. But a minute later, no, I'm not letting you control me and take me away from what God called me to do. He didn't. So how do we do this? How do we do? Uh, maybe it looks like this for you. I'm, I'm not going to let you speak to the, me that way. Not angrily. Um, this isn't like drawing a line. is isn't like free license to be a jerk. This isn't an opportunity. You know, if someone comes at you on level seven, that you automatically go to a level 10. I'm not going to let you speak to me that way. 
I love you, but I will not accept the disrespect, that anger, or that tone. It's a loving thing to do. Or maybe it looks like this for you. Listen, I know this is hard, but because I love you, I'm not going to bail you out this time. It's because I love you that you need to learn this lesson. I mean, or for us parents who've ever had a toddler. You know, when those babies don't get what they want. I mean, we expect it, right? We expect them to throw a temper, a temper tantrum. But we don't have to accept it. Or maybe if you're having a hard time in your relationship with your significant other, your spouse, or a boyfriend, a girlfriend, listen, you know, I, listen I love you, but I'm not going to let you threaten me. I'm not going to let you pile on the guilt. When you draw a line in the sand, a controller may try to change the dynamics. And we know this because we've seen it. What do they do? They begin to stomp, shout. Maybe they withdraw or maybe they become critical. Listen, the bottom line is, is it's dysfunctional behavior. Draw a line in the sand that's, that's saying that this is not acceptable. And the reality is reactions, man, they never feel good. They're always, I mean, they're, they're never pleasant. And why do they act like that? The reason is because a controller, a manipulator, the bottom line is they're hurting. They're hurt. Hurt people hurt people. But listen, friends, healed people heal people. They are hurt, and this is difficult. This is absolutely difficult. It will never not be difficult for you. And some may say, but listen, man, living in a dysfunctional relationship daily is being, dis you know, and being distracted uh, by, from the will of God, that's, man, that hurts too. I get it. I understand it. But the truth is, past hurt is always better than present hurt. Love them enough to know when to draw the line in the sand. Love them enough. And I want to close with this. If we're being completely honest, if we're being completely honest, what I know to be true, it's easy to point fingers at other people. It's easy to point at others who want to control us, but Many of us, including myself, battle with the same thing. I know I do, and I know you do too. I think every single one of us, to some level or degree, are card-carrying members of Control Freaks International. <laughs> People say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I can relate to that, but it comes out like God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> I want everybody doing what I want them to do. And I know you're in the same boat. The reason I want them to do what I want them to do is because sadly, you, me, that cool person you're sitting next to, 
We like to play God. We like to play God. Many of us like to call the shots. Many of us like to control uh, uh, the situation a lot of the time. And any of you who are controlling, and that would be a significant number of us in this room, we don't recognize what we are doing every single time that we try to control someone. It's exactly what Satan did in the Old Testament. It's his love language. I want to be like God. I want to be like God. I want to control it. I want to determine the outcome. The problem is I don't make a good God and neither do you. Think about this. No matter how much guilt you throw at someone or threaten them, can you really, think, can you really, do you think you have the power to change them? No. Does God? Yeah. Do you as helicoptery as a parent you are? Do you think you have the ability to control your kid's future? Does God? Do you think you really have the power and the ability to help someone overcome a deep-rooted addiction? Does God? God does. God does through his redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's the power of that that makes us new, whole, and complete. When we recognize we don't have the power to control, we stop trying to be like God. And what do we do? We completely surrender to him. That's why Jesus said right after this conversation between him and Peter that his will and God's will about his will and God's will and, and Peter trying to stop it. What did he say? The very next thing in the context of this dysfunctional encounter, he turns away from Peter and he looks at the others and he says, then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciples must do what? Let's say together, deny themselves and take up their cross and do what? Follow me, Dis deny themselves. Basically, this is what he's saying. If you follow Jesus, you are not in control. I know that's a hard one to swallow because we're so wrapped up in wanting to be in control. If you follow Jesus, you are not in control because it's not your will, but from that moment on, when you accept Christ into your life, it becomes his will. Not my will, but thy will. And this is so important because anytime we let someone else wrongly control us or anytime we try to control someone else, we are trying to be God. We are trying to be God. But the only way we can truly follow him is to surrender our will to his will, not trying to control someone else, but to entrust them to God. We said it last week, do what is right and trust God with the results. Do what is right. And how do we do this? How do we love someone who sucks the life out of us? We can start just by praying for them. Praying for them. God, you love them as much as you love me. 
Give me the eyes and the hearts to see them the way you see them. Not rip their heads off or to love them appropriately without entering into this dysfunction. Sometimes you just got to say, I'm just going to have to trust the Holy Spirit is going to work in and through this situation. I can't control it. That should be freeing for a lot of us. I can't control it. Say it with me. I can't control it. And I know there were some of you going, you're not going to make me say that. (laughs) I can't control it. I am right now trying to die to myself and bring my own desires under the will of the Father. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. To be fully submitted to him, not my will, but thy will. We're going to spend a moment in worship. And I want you to kind of take some time to think through this. And if there's any area of your life that you feel like you have been trying to control, and and it's like causing this anxiety and fear and worry and whatever, maybe that's a maybe that's kind of a dashboard light indicator that you need to give some things up to God. Like there's something wrong with the engine. Before you try to control it so much, it becomes uncontrollable. And everything breaks down. And you're going to have some time to do this as, as Jake and the team leads us. And um, there are some of you who, you know, you're at a point where you're like, yeah, I'm, I, I've tried to control it so much and it, I don't like the way it's going. All I'm going to simply say, is maybe it's time for you and, and you're brought here for this place right now, not by mistake, to, to release control of whatever it is that you feel is weighing you down. Release control and fully surrender it to God who loves you, who loves you and has made a way for us to be reconnected to him through a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you just need to surrender to Jesus this morning. And then in a a few moments, we're gonna celebrate. Celebrate those who have made a decision to follow Jesus and wanna publicly identify themselves with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus through water baptism. And like we do at every baptism, we have some people that have already prepared to make Uh, do this. There may be some of you who have been contemplating this for a while and maybe God's presence is kind of compelling you to, to take that leap. What I'm here to tell you is we have prepared, uh, for you to do exactly that. We have dry clothes, we have towels, we, we have it because we don't want anybody to miss an opportunity that God may have uh, for this uh, amazing time. So let's worship, let's surrender, let's give up control, and then let's celebrate.